Welcome to the To Read List. I'm Bailey, and this is a podcast where I attempt to get through the 138 unread books on my shelf. With me is my friend Toby. Hey. My brother Andrew. Hello. And my husband Dylan is our sound recordist. Hello. These are very lovely hellos. Well, we're happy to be here. Well, I'm really excited to see you guys for many, many reasons. I feel like I've just run a marathon and finishing reading Anna Karenina. Yeah, I'm very impressed. Good job. In two weeks. So checking in on shame, I do have shame, but I'm not that ashamed about it. Oh, this is every this is every time. I know. But before I say that, one of my shames is that I realized that one of the books that is actually on the shelf and has been on the shelf since the 1990s, I forgot to add to the Goodreads list. So that upped the number. And that Mm. is the book Anne of Green Gables. Heard Mm. of it? (laughs) (laughs) Aggressive with our shame. <laughs> uh, I I have heard of it actually. Uh, I have not read it. There was a time when we went, we saw this like edition of children's books, and one of them was Anne of Green Gables. And you both, Toby and Dylan, were like, "What's Anne of Green Gables?" I mean, I I know the name, but I, yeah, I, I, here's here's what pops in my mind. I don't know why Anne of Green Gables. I hear that I hear that name, and I imagine like a girl on a swing in like a Victorian garden. It's pretty accurate. Yeah. Um, I feel like it's not Victorian, isn't it? Like prairie. It's not prairie it's like if i had to guess not Anne of prairie gables 1800s maybe victorian i just think any book i haven't read takes place <laughs> the on the prairie and i think that's okay <laughs> but dylan was referencing when i saw the Anne of green gables we had a fight you know how you have fights with your spouse that's no like, i don't know about that <laughs> where it's like yeah i've actually never had a fight with okay Jeff. well it was it was a fight like this Anne of green gables what's that everybody knows Anne of green gables no, they don't. Let's bet on it. And we bet on it. And I texted all my friends and like pretty much all my girlfriends had heard of it. But Toby had not. At the time? Really? At the time, yeah. Okay. But, but to be fair, like I didn't count that because like your nerdy friends. Wow. Rude. You know, a lot of them listen to this podcast. <laughs> you know, they're like our main supporters, Dylan. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm doubling down on this. <laughs> Yeah, it's pretty big, guys. It's a big one. But yeah. Um, anyway, so that's a sort of shame, but not really. That's just a sort of typo. A, okay. sh- a shame of a book that I actually acquired. When Andrew and Jillian were in town, we took a podcast field trip to The Ripped Bodice, as mm. we've talked about before, the romance bookshop in LA. Can I say something? Yes. I feel like this podcast that you created in order to slim down your to-read list uh-huh. has enabled you to take several trips that you call podcast trips to different bookstores at which you have purchased more books. What do you have, what do you have to say about that? I have no comments. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just pointing it out. That's fine. Well, yeah, I I do. I that's a very fair point. And also, I feel like I have thought that after I finished Anna Karenina, I'm going to reward myself by going out and buying a book that I've been looking for. No. Wait, wait, wait. That's Uh. the opposite of how this is supposed to work, (laughs) Bailey. I know. Uh, All right. But yeah, I think tonight I'm going to go and buy a new puzzle and a new book. (laughs) Fantastic. Anyway, there was a shelf of books that was called Blind Date with a Book, and Mm. it's books that are wrapped up in wrapping paper, and there's just a little description on it, and you buy it without knowing what it is. Mm -hmm. So this is the book that I've gotten, that I got. I've been waiting for like two weeks to open it, and 
and now I get to open it. I'm excited that uh, I will say to listeners, it's in beautiful, uh, like floral wrapping paper, um, and it says hello. It has like a name tag on it, and the description says. Do you want to read the description? Oh wow, the description is <laughs> lesbian enemies to lovers ballerina romance. You need this book. Holy moly, this looks great. So exactly. This is a really cool idea. I really like it. I've seen this happen at like multiple bookstores, um, but I've never seen it tagged like. You know, that one's tagged like female, female. I've never seen it tagged like that. Maybe it's just the romance store they do that. I yeah. don't know. I realized that I had never read. I've read LGBTQIA plus um, stories and love stories, but not any romance books. So I'm, so I'm interested in that. It sounds awesome. It says you need this book. And also, guys, it's Pride Month. Oh, that's right. So that's very appropriate. So now I'm going to open it. Yeah. It's like ASMR. Yeah. You know all those ASMR videos where people are unwrapping things. It's like an unboxing. Is it really what podcast? Ooh yeah. So this is called the music and the mirror. Ooh. That's that's what that is, right? Even though mm-hmm. it's a W. Mm-hmm. Okay. I don't think it's the music and the mirror. <laughs> it looks like W. It look because it's yeah. Like, it's like we're supposed to be like reflected. It's a mirror by Lola Keeley. Description, Anna is the newest member of an elite ballet company. Her first class with her mysterious idol, Victoria, almost ruins her career before it starts. When she shows she might be a potential star, Victoria chooses Anna to launch a new season around. Now Anna must face jealousy, sabotage, and injury, not to mention navigate the circus of friends and lovers within the company. The pressure builds as she knows she must pour everything she has into opening night and prove to her rivals and herself that Victoria's faith in her is not misplaced. In the process, Anna discovers that she and the daring, beautiful Victoria have a lot more than talent for ballet in common, and then not every thrilling dance can be found on stage. Ooh, oh, man. Ten, five stars to whoever wrote that summary. That's a back. really good summary. You need this book. So maybe this will be my reward for finishing Anna Karenina. That looks like so That much sounds fun. like a I very made, reasonable uh, ballet. <laughs> <laughs> I just made a resolution to myself. I want to go to the Rip Bodice. I want to pick up a sexy book. So that's my shame. But I'm probably going to read this tonight, let's be real. This, that's yeah. going to be a quick Real talk. Um, what about you guys? Any shame? I have some ripped bodice-related shame. Ooh. Though I kind of wish, in retrospect, I'd embraced the theme of the store a little more. Um, but they have a huge yeah. romance section and those wrapped books, which are all very cool. But I, in my shame of not potentially buying a book at a store where the owner was staring at me, uh, bought a book I've been intending mm-hmm. to read, uh, Circe by Madeline Miller. Oh. I hear. I mean, Toby, you read it. I think earlier in the in our podcast, you mentioned that you you had read it and enjoyed it, right? Yes. Oh, five stars. I love so I was very excited to get it. And again, uh, while I technically have to classify this as shame, I'm not ashamed at all. <laughs> Maybe we should rename this section. <laughs> yeah, I I kind of want to rename it too. We've had a few people that said you shouldn't be ashamed. You should rename it. But then we had a iTunes review that said my favorite part is when they talk about the shame yeah so. I, think, I think it fits like it, we should be like a little bit ashamed the, the whole point of the podcast is to narrow down but obviously it's not going to work I mean there's a bit of futility isn't it like even me who I feel like I've done pretty well at like keeping away shame mm-hmm. this week I have five books of shame Ooh. what yes five whole and five not skinny books of shame either tell us all about it so yeah guys, get it I was on my way back from the gym. You got your swole I was on. so swole, I could barely walk. Um, no, uh, so I was walking along, and it was just one of those things where, like, it was an old creepy house, and people had put, like, five or six boxes of books on the on the sidewalk. And I was like, I'm going to dig through these. I don't care. Um, and they were 
This and sounds were, like the beginning of a horror movie. Yeah, well, they're and covered in blood. I got Jumanji the book. <laughs> <laughs> Jumanji the book. It's great. There's like a drum beat that comes out of it <laughs> when I'm asleep. Um, you know, that classic horror movie, Jumanji. <laughs> <laughs> hey. So, yeah, I got um, four books Okay. Um, from there. Uh, I got Caleb Carr, The Angel of Darkness. He wrote um, The Alienist, which was just turned into a TV show a little bit ago. Great show. Great um, book. Yeah, great book. I got a Stephen King book that I'd never heard of called Skeleton Crew. Ooh. It's got a picture of a monkey with like the symbols, you know, like have you ever seen those toys of the monkeys that are crashing oh. symbols? Uh-huh. Um, and then I got a book that was already on my to read list that Ooh. I didn't own, uh, Robert Jordan's The Eye of the World, which is the first in the Wheel of Time series. So wow. that's crazy that it was on my list and I just like scooped it. I was like, cool. You secreted it. It came to you because yeah, put it out the in the secret. universe and mm-hmm. then some old Korean couple put it on their front porch and now I have it. <laughs> Um, and then, uh, there's another book called Wizard's First Rule by Terry Goodkind, which is a, another massive fantasy doorstopper. It's all, it's the first in a giant series. Um, so there's those four. And then Dylan and Bailey, it was my birthday recently, and they mm-hmm. gave me a, um, gift certificate to a lovely bookstore here in LA called Chevaliers. It's a really good bookstore. They say it's the oldest in LA. Did you oldest see that? Oldest independent bookstore in what? LA. I think yeah. so. Yeah. I know. I didn't, I didn't know that. It's in Larchmont. So I went there and I bought, um, a graphic I don't know if you'd call it a graphic novel. It's just, um, it's by a guy named Junji Ito. It's called Shiver, and he writes like horror manga. It looks creepy. Very graphic, very like violent, scary stories. And if you do look them up, they're manga, so you have to read them uh, from right to left. Okay, awesome. And thanks for the birthday present, guys. So, shame, but no shame. I'm not even putting the Junji Ito on my to read list because it's going to take me like a couple hours to read. Awesome. Well,. I, guys, I'm okay with our shame this week. Good job, yeah. everyone. Good job, Seamus. Yeah. Um, Andrew, do you have any updates on the foreign report? I do. All right. Here we are somewhere in the world reporting from the foreign report. So we had two new countries that people had predicted. So there are two new picks that are going to be added. And they are live from the Iberian Peninsula. A little country known as Portugal, mm. which was selected by our own dear Toby. Toby, <laughs> this is mm, this is BS. Because Toby was the one that downloaded it while he was in Portugal. <laughs> he gets this pick because he paid for a trip to go to Portugal. It's not a trick that I could pull off very often, is it? Well, I got to get a ticket to Belgium. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> <Okay>. Speaking of Belgium, <gasps> just take a walk a little more up the oh. coast and you start seeing... People selling wooden shoes. I doubt they wear their wooden shoes too much. They more probably sell them in uh, in souvenir shops. There's a little country called the Netherlands, Ooh. which was predicted by me. So, for those of you keeping track at home, I now have two, uh, three picks. Toby has two, Bailey has one, and Dylan has one. So let's see how this is going to spice up our choosings along the way. If you are keeping track at home... Stop doing that. We'll, we'll keep you. We can keep you updated on this. Don't worry about it. I just had a picture of like a guy in a dark room and a chart on the wall. <laughs> For listeners at home, what that means is those are picks that um, me, Toby, or Andrew, or I guess Dylan can use whenever um, after the choosing is done. They can say no way to your choosing and pick their own book from the shelf. And we'll see if that happens later this Podcast. If you guys give me Les Mis after Anna Karenina, I think I will flip this table over. I thought you were just say quit the podcast. Podcast ends. <laughs> Bailey finished her to read list, and that was the end. Well, we'll see. I mean, I have three. That's a lot to work with. 
So this week, Andrew had a book from his shelf chosen. Andrew, what book did you read? I read Exit West by Mohsen Hamid, uh, which is a short but sweeping tale about uh, a young couple meeting each other, coming together, and being forced to flee together uh, from their home city when the city becomes taken over by rebels. It's about how their relationship develops as they trek about the world. With a little bit of magical realism thrown in. Um, it's a very quick read. Yeah. Uh, it's only about 230 pages, and the pages themselves don't actually have like that much text on them. So you can read this book like incredibly quickly. As I said sort of in my little summary, the book has a little element of magical realism, or it has one very specific element of magical realism. Part of the thing I, I liked about this book is it sort of comes out of nowhere. There's this hint to it earlier in the book that it could possibly be, but I sort of wrote it off as this metaphor. And then all of a sudden, when it's time for them to leave their city, the um, method of travel for all these people from one city to another when they're trying to leave and what causes the refugee crisis that is the second half of the book is that doors magically become portals to other cities to other doors somewhere else in the world and just by walking through a door you can end up um, anywhere in the world when uh, Syed and Nadia uh, leave this unnamed city that they come from, which bears a striking resemblance to Lahore, Pakistan. Yeah, the uh, the author is uh, quite adamant in interviews. He says, oh, it's an unnamed country. And every interview I read, the interviewer says, yeah, but it seems a lot like pa- Pakistan. And he's always like, uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> um, the uh, book did a really great job and really made me think about... Um, how small we kind of want our own world to be. Like we want to wake up each day and sort of know that we'll be comfortable with how the world is going to work around us. Mm -hmm. Because I think what makes this magical realism so effective is it's not that far off from like actually how the world works. Yeah, that's the best kind of magical realism, I think, when it enhances the theme and it feels almost realistic. Like, I guess that's the realism part, but you're like, okay, what if this did happen? Yeah, Yeah. cool. It sounds like you liked it. I did, but I do want to do two quotes that uh, show sort of two sides of what I liked about the book. Okay. This is early on in the book where I didn't, as a sort of a kind of, I guess, dumb reader, didn't realize that these doors were real. I thought it was just a metaphor that the author was using, um, but this is sort of his description of that. This is on page 72. The effect doors had on people altered as well. Rumors had begun to circulate of doors that could take you elsewhere, often to places far away, well removed from this death trap of a country. Some people claimed to know people who knew people who had been through such doors. A normal door, they said, could become a special door, and it could happen without warning, to any door at all. Most people thought these rumors to be nonsense, the superstitions of the feeble-minded. But most people began to gaze at their own doors a little differently, nonetheless. So you can see from that statement, and that's about as much as they've talked about, how I thought maybe these doors weren't real. But I like that quote because it's like the thesis of the book. Mm-hmm. This is what this is what we're dealing with. I like that. Yeah, exactly. Um, and just one other quote that's very short I want to throw in because another aspect of his writing I really liked was like the matter-of-factness of things. Um, makes it sometimes like sneakily funny. One that I found sort of sneakily meaningful. It's on page 107. This is after they traveled from their hometown uh, to the island of Mykonos. The island was pretty safe, they were told, except when it was not, which made it like most places. (laughs) (laughs) And I thought in that like 20 words, it contained a lot of meaning and also was just like, huh, all right. You know, Tolstoy has that too, actually. There there are little things like that that you read and you're like, ah, ha ha. This is what it's going to be like living with Bailey from now on. She's going to be like, so Tolstoy, I think so this. When I was reading, when I I read Anna Karenina in two weeks, you know, it was really. Yeah, I know you're making fun of me and I know that's fair, but I do 
want to no, say it's, that it's like one hundred percent fair that you mentioned it on this podcast. We talk about books, and you just read that. Like, uh, yeah. but I was also trying to think of like what connects the two books, and there are a few things. So even though they seem like they would be completely opposite. So yeah, I, I really did like this book. I think I've been sort of hinting at it, and I'll I'll say I, I want to give it five stars. Yeah. Um, but honestly, while I was reading it, I didn't think I was gonna rate it five stars. I thought I was like, this is a solid book, um, uh, solid four stars, but. Mm. I finished reading it this morning, and I sort of still felt that way. And then, like, here I am about six hours after finishing reading it, and I'm like, oh, this is actually really sat with me. And so I'm going to bump it up that extra star because I did find yeah. it really meaningful and really appreciated in such a compact book. It took me on a journey so like so directly. Nice. It's almost Five like stars. it took you on a sudden journey, like just walking through a door and you're in a different place. Ooh. <laughs> That's true. I mean, I... I <laughs> I should say not everyone feels this way. Uh, Amazon user Wayne says one star, not my kind of book. <laughs> so you know we can all feel different things about it. Definitely. Toby, do you have any facts for us? Uh, yes. So uh, Mohsen Hamid um, was born on the twenty third of July, nineteen seventy one, uh, in Pakistan. Um, he's a Pakistani novelist. Um, this is his one, two, three, four, five, fifth novel. <laughs> um, it's his fifth novel, um, and he's been pretty well respected uh, since his first novel came out called Moth Smoke. Um, actually, when I was doing my research for this, I said, oh, man, I really want to read Moth Smoke. It sounds like a pretty cool story. Moth Smoke apparently has, like, music and drugs and, like, a little sex in it, and then people were really mad about mm-hmm. his follow-up book, The Reluctant Fundamentalist. Like, a, a guy came and slipped him a note at a, at a signing that said, I hope you uh, take care of our true fans who really like the music drug and sex scenes <laughs> <laughs> mm. and i will say exit west not really oh there's there's some drugs and some sex yeah, yeah. maybe some music as well uh Hamid's, uh basically lived in the states uh at a young age from three to nine um but then he moved back um to lahore pakistan um, and then he kind of came back to the States when he was 18 um, to continue his education. He went to Princeton and he studied under our old friend, <gasps> Joyce Carol Oates. Was he in the same back. class no. as Jonathan Saffron Fowers? I think he's older then. Well, Jonathan Saffron Fowers is like, he's like almost 40, like late 30s. How old is I don't. Uh, let's see. He was born in '71, so who's good at he'd math? He'd be a little older, right? Yeah, I think he's yeah, a little older. He would be like four, year, four that be years weird older if than they were in the same class. Um, but he also got to study under Toni Morrison at Princeton. Um, so pretty, pretty nice teachers to have, I think. Wow. You can see why people want to go to Princeton. Mm-hmm. He wrote the first draft of Moth Smoke um, in a fiction workshop taught by Toni Morrison. Oh. That was his first novel. It's very similar to Jay. Yeah, exactly. Um, but then he went back to Pakistan Weird after he graduated and continued yeah. working on it. Um, he went to Harvard Law School. Um, graduated and became a corporate lawyer, and he found it extremely boring. Um, so he worked there for a couple of years, repaid all his student loans, and then uh, retired basically to write full time. And he's been a successful author ever since. So nice. Dang. Nice. I got a lot of information um, mm-hmm. from a interview he did on Fresh Air, um, and Terry Gross asks him uh, basically that the novel came out around the same time as President Trump's uh, Muslim travel ban. So she basically says a long question that ends with, do you think your novel addresses that ban, the travel ban, Mm -hmm. without mentioning it by name? And uh, this is a quote by him. In a sense, yes, because the ban is about trying to determine, you know, who belongs and who doesn't belong in a place, above all. It also has the effect of restricting certain people's movements, and in some cases, like refugees, with potentially deadly effect. 
But above all, it's about who has the right to move and who doesn't have the right to move. And I think that when we take the long view, the notion that some people are deemed less worthy of being able to move, to not have the right to cross borders over time, that's going to seem to us outmoded and as unfair, really, as racial discrimination or other kinds of discrimination. So yes, the book does address the ban without specifically addressing the ban. Oh, that's great. That's a good way of saying it. Yeah. yeah. Awesome. Well, Exit West by Mohsen Hamid, five stars. Five Ooh. stars. All right. Well, my book this week, you might have heard of it. It's sometimes described the greatest novel of all time. Mm-hmm. Anna Karenina by Leo. Nope. <laughs> Anna Karenina by Leo Tolstoy. Yeah. Yeah. Anna Karenina by Leo Tolstoy. It's fun to say. I feel like part of me wants just like, this is really selfish, but I kind of want like a round of applause for having read this in two weeks. I'll give it to you. I will give you one thank clap. You, thank if, you. If two people in the room with you clapping counts as a round of applause, then you got it. <laughs> well, first I'm going to talk about what the book is about, and then I want to talk about the journey of reading it. Um, for those of you who don't know what it's about, essentially it's a novel set in Russia um, before the revolution that follows... What a- year are we talking? You just read it for two. It, no, oh, no, it just doesn't. I'm just terrible at history, so. So presumably, believe- second half of the 1800s, if he's writing it without a specific year. Russia. Picture <laughs> Russia, but like okay. fancy dresses. Okay, yeah. Okay. Yeah. There's a society woman, mm. Anna Karenina. Oh. Heard of her. Yeah. All right. She's married to a man, but she doesn't love him. She got married mm. when she was young. She was only 18 and he was in his 40s, and it was just, you know arranged marriage almost yeah but then years into her marriage she meets sexy sexy count count vronsky mm-hmm. what a sexy name vronsky vronsky and she starts an affair with him so it's about how society shuns her for going outside her marriage and a lot of the themes have to do with you know how women are treated differently than men for doing the same things mm-hmm. and it's a love story but it's a tragic love story and What I didn't know is that it's a dual narrative where it also follows a second protagonist named Levin, Kostya Levin, and he essentially is a stand-in, from what I read, of Leo Tolstoy. Mm. Did you find that out doing some research? Well, I found there was an introduction to my book. I read that. That's fair. (laughs) I think you're allowed Um, to read introductions, Toby. (laughs) No. So Levin represents the agrarian side, whereas the Karenins and some of the other characters represent the high society side. And they don't interact, right? They're like two completely separate storylines? They do interact, but very briefly. Okay. Like around page 650 (laughs) out of 817, they meet each other. Mm -hmm. But they are in the same world. It's kind of a complicated thing where Anna's brother is childhood friends with Levin. They're all in the same world. So that's what it's about. Before I get into my review, I just want to talk a little bit about my journey of reading it because I'm proud. Um, I obviously heard of this book for a really long time. Andrew and my mom, we found out, I found out pretty late in life, was almost a Russian literature major. Whoa. She loves Tolstoy in particular, and she's read a lot of his other work as well. Right. And she did not like The Master and Margarita, which I gave her as a present. Oh no! (laughs) That's a that's a DNF. That's a DNF for me. Did not finish that one. There is a cat in that one. There is a cat. That's That's margarita. Yeah. Ooh. Um. Uh. So I was exposed to this novel. I would say pretty early in my life, 
and then I bought it for myself first at Barnes and Noble. And like I said last time, I tried to read it, but I couldn't get through it. But then I have two friends who coincidentally are both named Meredith, and they recommended this translation, and it's the Pravir Volokonsky translation. They are a married couple. Mm, cool. Um, and so I found this translation much more accessible. However, if you go online, some people are like, it's too easy. Like, it, they, you know, they dumb it down. And I'm like, okay, Jeez. but it's hard enough. Yeah. So, <laughs> so I would recommend it. And you might recognize it because at least my edition has this very weird cover. It looks yeah. like a butt. Yeah, it looks like this woman is, like, putting flowers in her butt. Right, but it's, it's like, a bouquet between her knees. Yeah. But her naked knees, anyway. I mean, are knees significant in the story? Are no. purple flowers? No. no. Are butts significant yeah, in the story? Butts, do butts play I a big mean, role? not directly. Okay. It's a metaphor. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then another reason... Russia was like a butt. <laughs> ...is that um, at my college, we had 10-week terms, which is notoriously short and there was one English course which was I forget what it was called but it was essentially reading War and Peace and Anna Karenina in one term oh my gosh and my friends who were English majors like loved the course where it was like they were really intimidated by it but then they found the professor really great and they really got into it so that made me think oh okay I can read this too but then I bought it in 2011 and it's been sitting on my shelf till now so Mm -hmm. (laughs) so anyway so the journey of reading it I actually didn't mind reading it in two weeks because like I just got caught up in the world of it and you can see on Instagram I marked it off so every night I had to read 63 pages Mm -hmm. and I mean 63 pages is a fair amount especially in this book written in 1870s yeah but it's doable with that said it was a lot of like me working me going for a run me reading me going to bed yeah for like two weeks but if you're interested in it and you want to power through it it's a way to do it so I would recommend it yeah, I kind of like experiences like that. Like I've, I mean, usually that only happens to me like in a voluntary way when I'm so into a book. But when you spend like more than a couple hours a day reading a book, you mm-hmm. do kind of like sink really deeply into the world of it. Right. Especially when it's such an expansive world. Like I assume this or like a fantasy book yeah. in it. Um, so my review. I like this book a lot. Uh Oh, I hated it. <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> you spoiled it there when you told us your true feelings first. I will say that part of... I. I wish that I like loved it 100% because whenever I would tell people I'm reading Anna Karenina in two weeks, they would be like, oh, enjoy it. <laughs> and I thought, oh, God, what am I? I must be missing something because like I'm not totally in love with it. Mm-hmm. But I mean, it, it, there are parts of it that are hard to get through and there are parts of it that are a little bit boring. Yep. So I feel bad that it's not a five star for me spoiling ahead yeah I, I think my experience with like russian authors is that some people love them so much like they can you know there are long drawn out parts i'm assuming in this one where they talk about like religion mm-hmm. or farming and yes. it's like if you love these writers you could listen to them talk about toast for 100 pages like murakami i love murakami so much he wanders all in these crazy directions that i'm like i'm on board yeah you talk about making lunch for 50 pages I'm cool with that, but I can see how someone who doesn't love with the style would be like, this is so boring, I want to tear my eyeballs out. Right. And specifically because there's dual narrators, kind of similar to last week, everything is illuminated, the 11 parts I found when it's not about his romance were pretty boring. Like you Mm. said, it's a lot of philosophy, a lot of religion, a lot of farming. It's very clear that this is kind of leading up to the revolution and they're talking about like what's equitable and should there mm-hmm. be serfs and that's kind of thing. And it's like, yeah, okay, but get get to the sexy parts. <laughs> um, 
Um, yeah, so those were the parts I didn't like, but overall I really did like it. Um, some of the things I liked about it, Tolstoy, his writing is incredible. He is excellent at metaphors. So let me give you an example of a quote of a metaphor. Like a butt. That's not even a metaphor. <laughs> no, that's a simile, dog. Well, <laughs> this is on page 279. This is describing um, the relationship between Anna and her husband, Alexei Alexand- Alexandrovich. Do you ever have a thing where like you read a name and it's fine, but then you read it out loud and you're like, how do you even say that? Yeah. Alexei Alexandrovich. <laughs> Alexandrovich. Okay. Alexei Azerbaijan. <laughs> Good one, Toby. Okay. <laughs> All right, here's a quote. He felt like a man who has had a long aching tooth pulled out. After the terrible pain and the sensation of something huge, bigger than his head, being drawn from his jaw, the patient, still not believing his good fortune, suddenly feels that what had poisoned his life and absorbed all his attention for so long exists no more, and that he can again live, think, and be interested in something other than his tooth. This was the feeling Alexei and Alexandrovich experienced. The pain had been strange and terrible, but now it was gone. He felt that he could again live and think about something other than his wife. So he's a lot of good comparisons that he uses yeah. that you're like, okay, I totally understand what you're saying. So I, I like the metaphors. Um, there's a lot of actually really good suspense in it. There's a hunting scene that I found suspenseful. Obviously, the ending to me was very suspenseful, even though I knew what the ending is. To me, this is a book where a lot of people, even if they don't know the book, know what happens in the end. Do you know what happens in the end? I do. No idea. Andrew. Andrew, you do. Our mother spoiled it for us inadvertently, thinking it was like, you know, obviously you know that in the end of Romeo and Juliet. Yeah. You know, that what happens to Romeo and Juliet? Uh-oh. I didn't say. I didn't spoil it for I'm like, cool. I'm like halfway through it right now, so don't spoil it. <laughs> <laughs> Things are going really well. Well, as it happens, it had been spoiled for me. And I'd also seen the movie, so I knew, you know, what happens at the end. But almost... Because you know what happens, it makes it more suspenseful because there's a few fake outs and you're like, is this it? Is this it? One other thing I liked is the character of Anna's husband, Alexi, is just the worst. <laughs> and I kind of loved it. You know, he, yeah. I just found it kind of humorous in the fact that he was the worst. Like, this is this is just a short quote that explains his perspective. Page 142. Alexi Alexandrovich. God, I have to learn how to say that. Alexandrovich found nothing peculiar or improper in the fact that his wife was sitting at a separate table with Vronsky and having an animated conversation about something. But he noticed that to the others in the drawing room, it seemed something peculiar and improper. And therefore, he too found it improper. He decided that he ought to say so to his wife. So, like, he doesn't even care, but yeah. he's like, oh, I guess this is bad. I just found him kind of humorous. And he's like, I, I guess I should get a divorce. Do I want to? I don't know. Who cares? <laughs> But my absolute favorite part of the book, and I think maybe why a lot of people love it, is the love story and the beautiful writing that describes it. Um, And although I didn't really like the Levin parts as much, Levin's love story with Kitty, I I preferred that to the story with Vronsky and Anna. There is a proposal and a wedding in the book, and they're both really lovely. I almost started crying during the wedding, but then as I was getting really into it, my beloved husband, who didn't know what was going on, came in and was like, do you need anything? And I was like, oh, uh, I'm fine. (laughs) I'm sorry for being attentive. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But so this is just my final quote. This is an example of the descriptions of love. Which I have for you. Aww. (laughs) I just like to imagine that whenever Bailey starts to cry anywhere in the house, Dylan's like, do you need anything? I didn't mind, but then a bunch of people were thinking that, like, why is she crying? That seems improper. And I thought, well, I should probably be checking in on that. (laughs) 
Okay, this is page 28. In the beginning of the book, Levin sees Kitty, who he's in love with. He knew she was there by the joy and fear that overwhelmed his heart. She stood at the other end of the rink, talking to a lady. There seemed to be nothing very special in her dress, nor in her pose, but for Levin, she was as easy to recognize in that crowd as a rose among nettles. Everything was lit up by her. She was the smile that brightened everything around. Can I really step down there on the ice and go over to her, he thought. The place where she stood seemed to him unapproachably holy, and there was that moment when he almost went away. He was so filled with awe. Making an effort, he reasoned that all sorts of people were walking near her, and he might have come to skate there himself. He stepped down, trying not to look long at her, as if she were the sun, yet he saw her like the sun, even without looking. Aww. Yeah, so he's really in love with her, and it's really beautiful. I guess I gave away my review, but this was between a four and five star for me. Hmm. I think part of me wants to give it a five star because it's like, you finished Anna Karenina, but... I've decided you five stars to yourself. <laughs> exactly. Gold star. But I, I thought about it and I thought five star is really something that it's a book where there's nothing holding me back from picking it up again. And this, like, I feel like I would skip to the parts I really liked, but mm-hmm. I'm probably not going to pick it up and reread it every year. So four star. Nice. That seems fair. Are you going to keep it on your shelf? Heck yeah, I'm going to keep it on my shelf. So you can point to it and be like, I read that two weeks. Exactly. <laughs> can you believe it? <laughs> Any new friend who comes to your house, you're going to be like, okay, yes, I'll show you the apartment, but first let me show you this book. Look what I did. Well, it's going to be a part of the tour. Welcome, have the tour. Okay, here's the living room. Here's Anna Karenina, which I read. All right, uh, Toby, do you have any facts about this uh, unknown author, Leo Tolstoy? Yes, I do. Uh, Did you know his name isn't Leo? I did. His name is Lev. Yes. I'm not surprised anymore. You guys know all my facts. Uh, he's a Count, uh, Count Lev Nikolaevich Tolstoy, uh, born 9th of September, um, 1828, and died in uh, November 1910. That's yeah. it. That's all we got. No. Oh. <laughs> um, oh, wait. Wasn't he, uh, didn't he go to Princeton, though? <laughs> he went didn't to Princeton. Didn't he study under Joyce Carol Oates? <laughs> Time traveling Joyce Carol Oates. Um, he wrote War and Peace as his senior thesis. <laughs> <laughs> um, so over his lifetime, so he was born to an aristocratic Russian family, um, very well off. Um, but he kind of, over the course of his life, he developed a philosophy that kind of glamorized poverty and as like the way that you should live. At one point, he said he didn't want any proceeds from any of his books. And his wife was like, no, 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 let's, well, come on, let's, let's at least get those. Like, we, didn't we they have, have a lot of children? Yeah, they had a bunch of kids. She was like, we got to take care of these kids. Like, you can't do that. <laughs> he received uh, multiple nominations for the Nobel Prize in Literature every year from 1902 to 1906. Holy crap. Um, and he received uh, nominations for the Nobel Peace Prize in 1901, 1902, and 1910. Um, he was fluent in English, French, and German, and he could read Greek, Latin, Spanish, Italian, Ukrainian, Turkish, and Bulgarian. Wow. Weird that he couldn't speak Russian. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <no. laughs> Struggled with it his whole life. <laughs> his house library consisted of 23,000 books uh, by the time of his death. Barely. But how many ha- were unread? <laughs> how many were unread? Zero. Yeah, no. but has he read Anna Karenina? <laughs> In two weeks. He had horrific handwriting. Um, so his wife, Sophia, rewrote all of his stuff. So he would write the first draft, and then she would rewrite it in a way that the publisher could actually read it and publish it. Wow. Around the age of 50, Tolstoy decided that he was going to become a vegetarian. 
And he's, his opinion was that in the future, everyone was going to be vegetarian. Raise your hand for vegetarian. Me. Toby, Just Toby. Are you bringing this up because you're vegetarian? I think it's an interesting fact. Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, Tolstoy had a weakness of card, uh, for cards. He was a big gambler. Um, and one of his biggest losses was that he lost a building on his estate. Um, and the whole building was taken apart and moved away. So what? He lost it in a gambling game. Can you imagine being his wife? <laughs> that was his Leo, pet. have you seen the garage? Uh. <laughs> um, so Anna Karenina was inspired um, by the opening line in a book of stories by another Russian author, Alexander Pushkin. The line is, the guests were getting ready to leave for the country house. And he read that line and he told his wife, quote, that's the way for us to write. Anyone else would start by describing the guests, the rooms, but he jumped straight into the action. And that very night after he read that story, he began writing Anna Karenina. Well, do you know the first line of Anna Karenina? No, Bailey, I'm sure you're going to tell me. Andrew, do you know the first line? Wow. No, I've never read it. Bailey, what is the first line? All happy families are alike. Each unhappy family is unhappy in its own way. Which does not get to the I action. was just going to say, it's not right into the action, but okay. Yeah. It's a great first line, though. This is my last fact. Uh, I don't want to give spoilers because it happens you know, a good way through the book. But if you have read the book and you like the proposal story, you just should know that that's how Tolstoy proposed to his wife. I, I am very interested in that because it's a very specific way. It involves oh. secret codes. Mm-hmm. It's in code. Very good facts, Toby. All right. Well, Anna Karenina by Leo Tolstoy. Four stars. Four stars. Nice. All right, Andrew, do you have a Russian game for us or some kind of game? Oh, I have a game. Yeah, I got okay. a game. You want to play a game? I right, love to play a game. Oh, I don't know if I do want to play a game. I feel like this game is like as close to being a, a completely level playing field as possible. It requires no like coming up with anything clever. So or... when I lose this one, it'll be a true exposure of my idiocy. Good to <laughs> Why know. Why don't you lose before you start moping about it, Mopey Toby? Uh, the game is called Rock on Tolstoy. I hope it doesn't have to do with types of rocks. No, it doesn't. I was thinking more music because, you know, rock on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no. So Toby's closer already, so maybe I'll give him a half point. Um, what I'm going to do and how this game will work is I'm going to read you a name. The name is either a name of a short story by Leo Tolstoy or a not-so-popular heavy metal band. Um, it's going to go Jeopardy style. Uh, so when I say it, please buzz in by saying the phrase, Big Beard, because Leo Tolstoy had a big beard. Um, <laughs> and so do a lot of heavy, heavy metal rockers. Sure. Very true. So that's our... Hey, Toby, you're on fire. I think you're, you're setting yourself up for success here. Excellent. Um, Excellent. <laughs> please buzz in by saying Big Beard. We're going to play first to four on this one. First to four. All right. So band or Tolstoy short story. Here we go. The fourth power. Big Beard. Toby? Tolstoy short story. Incorrect. It is a band. Ooh. Ooh. Three deaths. Big Beard. Toby? Toby? Short story. That is correct. Okay, Toby is playing the style of that Jeopardy guy where he's just saying Big Beard before he even hears it or processes it. I'm sorry, it. was there even I'm a sorry, Bailey, then adapt like, your style. There. Fine, I'm doing that too. The Restoration of Hell. Big Beard. Bailey. Tolstoy, short story. That's correct. I thought that was yeah, that too. <laughs> White Chapel. Big Beard. Band. Toby? Correct. Yes. <laughs> Foreign trees. Big beard. Big beard. Uh, Toby. Band. That is correct. Toby has three points. Bailey, you better get going. Quench the spark. Big, Big beard. beard. I mean, I heard Bailey first that time. Band. 
No. Tell a story, short story. Ooh, I thought it was for sure a band. Okay. okay. Repentance. Big Beard. Beard. Again, Bailey. Tolstoy. Correct. Bailey has two points. Immolation. Big Beard. Toby. Band. That's correct. Toby gets the win. <gasps> yes! Congratulations. Ah, ah, ah. <laughs> so congratulations, Toby. You have the biggest beard of all. Thank you. He Thank does you. have the... Well, no. No, I think Dylan's beard is bigger. Andrew's the biggest beard. <laughs> I'm going to say, no, yeah. my beard is, well, is certainly larger than both of yours. Yeah. <laughs> all right. It is that time in the podcast where we choose books at random from our shelves and maybe get some steals. Yes. The choosing. The choosing. I enjoyed Exit West so much. I'm just kind of excited to know what the next book is. You got number 71, Emily St. John Mandel's Station Eleven. That's oh, a good book. that's a good book. Is this another one that you and I have both read, Bailey? I guess so, yeah. yeah. It is. Though this is a book... Like I, I don't want to formally classify it as a do not finish, but I re- I've read the first like 150 pages of this and then didn't finish it. Ooh. But I was always intending to come back to it. So one ten no more. Good. Well, this is good. This is what the podcast. And is And that'll for. be the first one I think where we have picked up a DNF and yeah. and finished it. Speaking of metal bands, I think Intend No More is Faith No More's uh, unsuccessful <laughs> side project. <laughs> no, that's actually a Tolstoy short story. <laughs> <laughs> and Billy. After two weeks in the trenches, uh-huh. you have number 116. I'm stealing. I'm stealing. <gasps> oh. What was it gonna, wait, what was it going to be? It was going to be Swamplandia by Karen Russell. Well, Bailey. Yeah. I know you're counting on getting a shorter book. Oh. I, I really hope that it and is. And I don't okay. want to really make you miserable. <laughs> and I don't want you to feel like there's going to be a century of you feeling lonely. Oh my god, oh, if you do yeah. 100 years of solitude. So, I'm going to give you Sadie by Courtney Summers. Yes! <laughs> I don't know this book. Vindication! It's a book, <laughs> it's a book I got for Bailey for Christmas that sounded really cool, and it's like a YA book, and I was Ooh. really kind of secretly disappointed that she put it on the to-read list and couldn't read it right away because I wanted to know how it is. It actually was so. my intention that like when I had a free week that I would read it, but I keep just you know, getting behind on my books. But it's yeah. essentially like a young girl who does like a true crime podcast, but there's a murder or something. I don't know, but it looks really good. That's interesting that That's you did that That's not quite answer. it, but you're going you're gonna to figure it out. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> for, the, for those of you keeping track of the steals, I'm now da- back down to two. Um, Toby's at three. Bailey and Dylan both at one. But really, Gerard, you should stop keeping track of the steals. It's weird. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it's really odd that Go you do outside. that. <laughs> well... <laughs> Excellent. So next week, Toby is going to give us his review of Fellowship of the Ring by J.R.R. Mm-hmm. Tolkien. And I will give my review of Sadie by Courtney Summers. And then two weeks after that will be Andrew's review of Station Eleven by Emily St. John Mandel. Thanks for listening to the To Read List. If you'd like to get in contact with us, you can email the To Read List podcast at gmail.com. Follow us on Goodreads at goodreads.com slash the To Read List podcast. Or on Facebook and Instagram at the Two Read List Podcast and on Twitter at Two Read List Pod. If you guys like the podcast, please go ahead and iTunes and rate us five stars and write us a review. Uh, it helps us get more visible and it warms our hearts. And thanks to those people who have already written reviews. There's some yes. really lovely ones up there and they make a, they make our day whenever we read them. For real. We read them and we really like them. Also, feel free to tell a friend, tell a family member, tell a book lover who might appreciate this podcast. Teach your... your your mom or dad who's maybe not good with the whole technology thing. Tell anyone who you think might like spending a little time learning about some books. We'd really appreciate it and it's the best way for new people to find our podcast. Great. Well, thanks to Toby and Andrew for co-hosting the podcast with me, to Dylan for sound recording, 
and to Miss Jillian Beth Durkee for composing our intro song. See you in two weeks. Happy reading. Books, 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 books. books. books.